0: Quantspeak, expert insights from quants for quants. Welcome to Quantspeak, a new podcast from the CQF Institute at Fitch Learning.
1: Hi, I'm Dan Tudbull, editor of Wilmot Magazine, and this is Quantspeak. At this episode, I'm joined by Professor Aaron Yun of the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. Aaron will be delivering a talk on ESG and shareholder value for the CQF Institute in March. Aaron describes ESG as an uneasy marriage of investors looking for financial returns and those prioritising social ones. He points to recent attention to greenwashing, which caused the anti-woke and woke debate. However, Almost all firms are issuing disclosures, such as ESG reports claiming that ESG is not an important investment activity. Against this backdrop, Aaron says finding ESG factors that deliver financial return is important. This talk will comment about the state of ESG investing and go through the ESG initiatives that are likely to see a financial payoff and what it will take for the sector to continue to thrive. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Not a problem, thanks again for joining us. Now, how was it that you first intersected with the whole environmental, social, governmental factors arena?
0: Interesting question, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know if my answer is pretty uh, traditional, Basically, what happened with me and ESG and sustainability is that when I was a graduate student at um, HBS, I met this guy, wonderful uh, mentor of mine, and a co-author uh, named George Seraphim. Um, he does a lot of work in CSR and ESG, and uh, he was a uh, junior professor there when I first joined as a PhD student. And uh, we started working together, talking about research ideas, and you know, he started to do a lot of work on ESG and I joined sort of um, his team and that's how I got interested and uh, pretty much uh, lured into this whole ESG space. Before um, joining HBS as a PhD student, uh, I was a trader at Credit Suisse and I always questioned whether, you know, market was efficient. You know, whether we can explain you know, stock price and value just by using you know publicly available you know financial statement numbers. And you know, what are some of the non-financial signals that could enhance portfolio? So you know, meeting George at HBS was a uh, you know a very sort of a uh, you know thankful experience for me because um, it really bridged what I was curious about, you know, and wondered it in uh, in finance and. Um, you know, really sort of uh, got connected to theory and the empirical execution of uh, academic research.
1: Where do you think that motivation came from initially? Where do you think that perspective came from? Of course, the last 40 to 50 years, in fact, we're going to be celebrating the um, 50th anniversary of the publication of the black Shoals paper, the original black Shoals paper back Mm -hmm. in 1973. We're going to be celebrating that. This year. And if there's anything that came out of that, it is how quantitatively significant factors have defined the way that we work in the market, certainly for the 30 years that followed on from the Black Shoals model being initially published. And then we see in the 80s, the 90s, the noughties, and now a greater emphasis. On what you might say are qualitative aspects of investment decision making. But for you personally, where did that sort of inkling come from that perhaps there's something a little bit more to look at beyond the numbers that might represent a meaningful way to address investment portfolio decision making aside from those figures? Was it the activist in you? Or was it the investor in you looking for an edge? So I would say um,
0: it's the latter. So let me sort of give you my philosophy on um, stock price, shareholder value, and how information gets impounded into price. You know, corporate finance 101 is that if there is a dollar of investment of shareholder money into an investment activity of the firm, let's say R&D or CapEx, there is an output, Right. You know, for a particular firm, if you invested a dollar in R&D, firm A, it could be $3. For firm B, it could be a dollar. And for firm C, it could be 50 cents. What shapes that effectiveness of investment is sort of these potentially hard to measure characteristics like firm culture, you know, management sort of type and all these things. And how I'm viewing this sort of whole ESG and sustainability effort is that it is no different from R&D and CapEx, where it uses up firm resources, right? So for example, if we think about a firm creating ESG reports, that costs money for the firm to, uh, to produce, right? If you have another firm investing in reducing greenhouse gas emission, it also costs money for that particular firm. It's just that the difference between traditional investments that firms make, like R&D and CapEx, versus the ESG investments that firms make is that ESG investment activities are not captured in the current financial reporting framework. So, The leap of faith that I'm making is that ESG efforts that firms make uses up shareholder value. And basically how I'm viewing this whole area is how can I, as an accounting academic, account for firm ESG activities as best as I can, embracing the institutional feature that it doesn't appear in numbers. This relates to sort of uh, what I used to do for a living, you know, back at Credit Suisse, it's all about sort of using these long, short signals to create long, short portfolio, which is a quantitative you know, investing approach in looking at different sort of signals that firms produce pretty much.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's, um, it's been a question of mine. You know, how robust can these models really be beyond the hype and beyond the pronouncements on ultimately ethical issues? how robust can these factors be and how can a quantitative finance practitioner engage with this form of factorization directly without muddying the water with ultimately the market hyperbole, so to speak. So what can you suggest for a quant practitioner who Mm -hmm. wants to look beyond the hype? And really Mm -hmm. engage. You've touched on that. Could you elaborate on that a little bit further for us?
0: Yeah. So, this is a a very excellent question, right? I mean, I wanted to sort of separate out my answer to two parts. So, first, ESG is a, I mean, some people think ESG is CSR plus G, you know, but this definition of ESG keeps on changing, right? It presents difficulties for analysts and investors to. Digest this information, and for ESG raters, for example, to produce relevant ESG ratings that capture ESG risk. But I, I think that this is a real opportunity. So let me give you an illustration that sort of reflects uh, my experience in the industry. I used to work as a sales trader, uh, equity sales trader, and when I called client investors selling, you know, our uh, brokerage house's uh, research idea. The typical sort of reaction and criticism is the idea all sounds great, but what's the difference between you and the other guy, you know, from Deutsche Bank and Goldman Sachs that called me three and five minutes ago, you know, your sort of EPS forecast is effectively the same. And we sure. you know, 15, you know, 12, 15, 13 years later, I'm sitting here and the sort of the typical sort of um, complaints or frustration that I get from Uh, you know, asset management or investor side is that ESG signals are very difficult to digest. So in that sense, um, you know, I would say that ESG sort of ratings being everywhere is a very important opportunity. And it's an opportunity that I think, especially from the quant side has a lot of value add. So let me give you an illustration too. So when I wrote um, this materiality paper with George and Mo in 2016, the state-of-the-art ESG rating was a one-zero variable from KLD. So people uh, in today's world, you know, where we use satellite images to infer, you know, how much gas emissions or you know, gas oil you know, is used and all these things, people would laugh at it, right? So I guess the point I wanted to make is data is quickly evolving and getting more and more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. So even the major raters like MSCI Sustainalytics, their um, ESG score ranges from effectively zero to 100 in a continuous manner. And they make it oftentimes comparable across industries. So what I'm observing is ESG ratings are getting much more sophisticated. But of course there are issues of you know greenwashing and whether these ratings capture ESG risks of the firm in an appropriate manner but I think you know that's one reason I think that at least in the US we need to really sort of bring things back to shareholder value and viewing ESG effort or prioritizing an ESG efforts that focus on shareholder value so effectively generating return as well as impact. And you mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of interesting things about, um, for example, hype, right? So if you think about hype, ESG is the definition of hype, right? I mean, in the past, I would say, three to five years, you know, everyone's cousin, you know, and, and their brothers are ESG investors, and they are yeah. all the firms, the S&P 500, Effectively, all the firms are issuing uh, ESG-related disclosure and claiming that ESG is central to the to, to the investment strategy of the firm. But I think that the time of judgment is here. And the reason I say this is very simple. After 08, when you know the market was effectively um, on quantitative easing, right, the market was going up f- effectively 10 to 50% every year. And at that time, you know, I can say to my investors or asset allocators, "Hey, why don't you make fourteen and a half percent instead of fifteen percent? So forego a little bit of your profit and do well for the society." But we're in a very volatile and a, effectively in a market turmoil, right? And everyone is looking at the Fed and the interest rate and all these things. So. Mm-hmm. When market is volatile, I think this is when the true sort of ESG, and what I mean by true ESG is ESG efforts that prioritize value, will really pay off. Um, so that's sort of my overall take in this whole ESG space. This hype obviously is, you know, a lot of quantitative easing, asset allocators pressuring asset managers, which the Pecking order obviously goes to the companies, and everyone is saying that they're you know deeply interested in valuing ESG, but you know which ones do and which ones don't, effectively time will tell, right?
1: Absolutely. I like the way you think. I think it's important to take it back to shareholder value. Mm-hmm. Maybe for a lot of people who are prioritizing social aims, the idea of taking it back to shareholder value. Might rub them up the wrong way.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: But at the end of the day, we're still operating in a free market capitalist model. Mm -hmm. And we haven't really found a more efficient way to distribute wealth, to distribute uh, assets and Mm -hmm. um, commodities. And so, do you think that your position allows you to just completely sidestep the hype, the, uh, you know, the, the, the woke versus anti-woke debate, which in itself, as an old man, that's something that uh, that I could go on for absolutely ages. Try not to today. <laughs> Do you think that taking that position, taking it back to shareholder value really allows you to cut out the noise? Because all of that other stuff really is noise.
0: So I I actually have a lot of respect for folks who advocate for impact. Um, because global warming, for example, or or I think it's called climate change these days. It is real. I mean, so I've heard. <laughs> so I'm in the states, and it you know it it snows in Texas, right? I mean, who could have imagined, a, you know, a foot of snow in Texas, for example, right? So it is real, and the question is: Is it the role of firms, or is it the role of society, or is it the role of government? to ensure sustainability of the world. I had a conversation with one of the uh, CEOs at an s and 500 firm. And the gentleman told me, hey, it's very frustrating this ESG uh, whole hype. You know, I'm getting calls left and right and, you know, and pushes to focus on sustainability and then generate value for stakeholders because, you know, Business Roundtable 200, for example, have been advocating that for some time, right? And the thing is, the gentleman's uh, response was, I think, a very um, nice way of thinking about it. So how do you generate stakeholder value without generating shareholder value, right? Because the role of firms is to generate shareholder value, and they have fiduciary duties to their shareholders you know caring about stakeholder is obviously important but without being able to generate profits to the firm it's very difficult to be um very difficult to sustain as a company right so to that end i think focusing on esg efforts that generate shareholder value should be the first step um especially in the us where the institutional environment is focused more towards shareholder value and shareholder primacy. The whole problem with stakeholder capitalism, I think, at least in the US is that these ESG efforts are incredibly difficult to monitor and assure. It's no secret, right, that there's greenwashing is incredibly prevalent and you know, as you may know, you know I've been writing papers that calls out greenwashing you know, from the asset managers as well as the companies. And um, we need institutional framework and potentially regulation to, to be able to monitor firm as well as investor claims on ESG issues in order to, I think, put more burden um, on the firms to engage in ESG and, and pursue impact. And I think once we ensure ESG efforts are directed to the shareholders. Then I think, you know, we can move on to impact. And you know, I'm not sure. At least in the U.S., we're there yet.
1: One of the interesting observations I remember reading a few years ago was that an argument might be made that there is some correlation between a firm that has a board that is committed to at least one of the uh, initials of ESG. Uh, some correlation between that and the actual sustainability of the firm itself, and the likelihood mm-hmm. that it is going to it, that it is going to prosper, that it is going to survive, that it is going mm-hmm. to make its way through difficult periods and benefit from upswings. Well, what's your view on that? On on that sort of correlation that might be drawn? I have two observations. So first is is something like. Hey
0: isn't ESG related to firm type? It could be true, and a lot of it is related to the culture, you know the management, how the firm is run. But let me also give you an example from real data, given that you know I'm an accounting academic and I'm interested in sort of best measuring and accounting for things. Sure, so I had a paper with a, a good colleague and a friend of mine, uh, Kyle Welch at George Washington, that uses um, Glassdoor employee satisfaction data. And then what we did was we effectively used Glassdoor employee satisfaction data as a proxy for CEO ability. So we're using employees' view on senior management. Right. And we double sorted that with ESG signal. And found that when firms invested a lot in ESG, so effectively had good performance in ESG, and also had a high ability CEO, it produced the most future uh, shareholder value. And the one sort of thing that that we thought, thought about before executing that project is, hey, isn't employee satisfaction a part of ESG? Right. I mean, it's sensible, right? Because ESG, especially the S part, advocates for, you know, employee satisfaction, DEI, social justice, et cetera, et cetera, right? Sure. Um, the interesting finding that we had was, uh, and we used MSCI ESG score as the proxy for ESG investments that firms make or ESG performance and, you know, it has the most coverage and it is the most widely used, but the correlation between MSCI's ESG score or S score with, um, the Glassdoor's employee satisfaction score was effectively zero. Right. Even MSCI's within S employee related scores and its correlation to any of the Glassdoor ratings, uh, correlation was, um, the highest correlation, if I recall correctly, was around 7 to 8%. So what does it mean? We're in the most nascent stage, I think, of measuring and capturing what mm-hmm. ESG is, as well as defining what, what ESG is and what ESG risk means. That's why I think this is a very difficult and a tricky space, but also a very exciting space. To sort of going back to your point, I do think that ESG is some type of underlying firm characteristic that reflects sort of how the firm is run and the culture and sort of the collegiality and sort of the, the long-term orientation of the firm. But it needs a lot of improvements in the definition of it as well as measuring. It. I think that's sort of where sort of a, an academic like me could contribute to the broad debate as well as pushing this whole area forward with practitioners.
1: Is ESG a market phenomenon or is it a social phenomenon at this point?
0: Ah, this is a tough question. I think if I, if I may, the social imperative almost sounds like is ESG a luxury good where those that that can afford to sort of, you know, help out. Right. So for example, like, you know, if you think about this whole climate change issue, there are calls for the richer nations to sort of effectively pay for, you know, the, the wrongdoings that they've been doing. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, so to the environment and helping out the emerging market. So I do believe that a lot of the ESG movements, so for example, SRI and CSR, which predates ESG, certainly had such values embedded into the movement. But I think there is a reason why SRI and CSR didn't take off as much as ESG, and to be frank, I think ESG is nothing that is that much different from CSR plus governance. And governance, you know, which mm-hmm. I sort of mentioned to you, kind of like firm type and the culture and how the firm is run, um, is effectively it already had buy-in from, you know, for example, academics as well as practitioners, right? We all know the importance of governance, right? So to that end, I'm not sure whether a lot of things have changed. Your question is a very difficult question to answer, but I think in order to take the first stab at that, we have to come back to the basics of how a firm is run and how we analyze how firm is run, right? You know, like corporate finance 101 or financial statement analysis 101, that how do you link Firm investment efforts to value. And I think, given that ESG efforts are most of it are not in the current financial reporting framework, but is an investment activity of the firm, there has to be sort of ways in which to close that mispricing. So I'm not sure if this is a good answer to your excellent question, but. I'm viewing ESG, and this is my personal view, as a, just another investment activity of the firm. So in that sense, you know, I think it resonates more with the market phenomenon that you mentioned. That is very difficult to be agreed upon, captured and assessed, which I think in due time, um, who knows how long it will take, the mispricing aspect will be arbitrage the way. But it's also almost like a chicken and egg problem. Is it risk or is it mispricing? Right, That's a fundamental question that all quants struggle with and think about. And it's a very difficult question to answer. But I think at the current time, there is a role to be played from quants with respect to ESG, because I do believe that there's a lot of mispricing of the firm investment activity because of the disclosure frictions
1: the markets like it when something can be indexed yes once it's indexed once everybody's on the same page as far as what the criteria are then Mm -hmm. it's okay we can we can move forward now right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so it's like kind of easy when it comes to i don't know sharia compliance that's super easy right because the rules are written, it's based on uh, a set of moral imperatives from a religious perspective. Therefore, you can make these investments in these Sharia-compliant companies, and they can be indexed. I mean, I'm just talking from our experience here in Malaysia, the Middle East, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, right? So that's the mm-hmm. This leads into the question about correlation, you know, one of your talking points. What do we make of the ESG data space and low correlation amongst ESG raters? Right. So that's a kind of a fundamental thing that you need to get sorted out before we can say, okay, we've got an accurate ESG index of the top 100 and, and, and all of that sort of thing, isn't it?
0: So I'm actually hoping for the disagreement to persist because once um, I, I agree with your uh, very interesting point on sort of um, having a uniform definition and things like that. But once you have a uniform definition, then it doesn't really get too exciting in the market, in my opinion, because everything will be reasonably arbitraged away because market is at least reasonably informationally efficient, right? The reason I say this is because ESG's financial materiality should likely be firm time varying So what I mean by that is it should be dynamic at the firm level. Think about Tesla, right? And people question whether Tesla is a good ESG company or not, but we didn't have Tesla 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So there is going to be changes in sort of different ESG investments making differential market impact over time, depending on, you know, sort of the market circumstance, you know, industry circumstances, et cetera um so being able to capture that i think should be that sort of beauty of asset management and investment management i know that the whole there is this huge growth in index funds and etf funds right and, and the role of active management has decreased substantially especially because of quantitative easing i think in my opinion because you don't really need it to um, do active management because you just buy an ETF and index and your portfolio goes up 15% anyways, right? Without paying 100 bips or 90 bips or something like that. But I think that given that quantitative easing is over, there needs to be clever ways in which you need to identify value and have an edge. And I think ESG may be that edge for sophisticated asset managers and quant investors.
1: That's great, Aaron. We don't want to give away too much
0: from Mm. the upcoming
1: talk, Mm -hmm. but if you've got a bunch of quant practitioners sitting in front of you on March the 2nd, what would you hope would be the most important thing that they actually take away from the talk? I hope that the quant managers
0: buy in that ESG activities of the firm is actual investment activity of the firm, and that it is the quant managers who really rely on sophisticated and interesting and unique signals. Um, It's an area that that they can really add value. Because ESG efforts, like I said, is um, not captured by the current financial reporting framework. So it's different from the traditional fundamental sort of uh, uh, analysis type of value add, right? It has to be coming from these rich signals that, you know, the the quant guys, you know, I also consider myself a quant person. So uh, that could really add value. So I, I, I really think that these unique and sophisticated signals could really shed light on which ESG efforts could enhance value and how long it takes to arbitrage the away and things like that. So hopefully, um, you know, they'll be able to not brush off ESG as complicated and too difficult, but uh, view it as an opportunity for them to generate return for their client asset allocators.
1: Great answer. So last question. So the CQF Institute exists to facilitate the progression of people's careers in finance. And so career choices are key to many of our listeners, people that are attending the courses, obviously, and the people who are going to be attending the talks, such as yours. The question I'd like to ask you to finish off is, at a certain point, you decided to go into academia. After being a practitioner for some years, probably in the last two decades, the most volatile period for the markets, And really a change in the way in which we viewed the current paradigm that that we're in. And that's changing again now. But at a certain point, you decided to make that shift into academia. What would you say for you personally, in terms of opting for that as your career path? What were the factors that came into play in making that decision for yourself?
0: Yeah, so... I'm originally from Korea, which is a... Um, yeah, right. I would still say it's an emerging market. Sure. And um, the way in which emerging markets uh, generally do business is very capital intensive. The way the Western world, in my view, or the developed market um, conducts their business is usually through brokering, right, effectively, right? you need a few Bloomberg station and broker trades and you make commission pretty much. Facilitate taxi drivers to meet uh, customers and you have an Uber and Lyft, right? And uh, one thing that I realized was the beauty of capitalism in the sense that it could really make a big impact in our lives. And when I was in finance, uh, you know, working out as a trader, I really saw the value add of sort of the modern developed market capitalism. And I saw tremendous value add from finance. You know, there's a lot of talent in finance. It's um it effectively, you know, supports, right? The economy and it funds projects and all these things. It's very exciting. It's effectively the driver of the economy and it has arguably one of the brightest uh you know the brightest talents out there the reason i moved um from practice to academia was because i wanted to reach more people in practice i don't know if that makes any sense but you know through my research it's ironic
1: but it makes sense it does
0: right um and I feel really grateful to you know get an opportunity to speak to you and get to meet people at CQF because I really believe that evidence based and sort of this responsible stewardship from finance and capitalism can really have a positive value in society. I mean we debate about how much role we should give firms et cetera et cetera, but this sort of the power of money in Sort of directing or guiding the firms and the society to a positive direction is really very, very impactful. And um, I, I do believe that folks in the investment management industry, as well as in the asset allocation business, can really um, have a positive impact to our world and tackling the problems that we face.
1: That's great, Aaron. Thank you very much. No, thank you. I will wrap up here, just to remind all of our listeners that uh, Professor Aaron Yun will be speaking on ESG and shareholder value on Thursday, the 2nd of March. And uh, it's online. It's free for CQF Institute members and membership of the CQF Institute is free as well. So as usual, as I always say, you have absolutely no excuse. So thanks very much again for your time, Aaron. It's been great. I really look forward to seeing the trajectory of your work where this is going to take things because for me it's certainly as far as looking at it from the shareholder value perspective that's a hook that I can definitely hang my hat on and as a result some of the cynicism that I might have had before going into this conversation has been somewhat dispelled so I thank you very much for that too.
0: Thank you for listening to Quant Speak. Don't forget to subscribe and do sign up to the CQF Institute for more insights into Quant Finance.